Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, and this is my weekly podcast about the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week, looking at the books and arts section uh, for the August 17th issue of the Weekly Standard. Our lead piece is a review by Robert Nason of a book entitled Broadcast Hysteria, Orson Welles's War of the Worlds and the Art of Fake News by A. Brad Schwartz. Um, I don't know if everybody knows about it. It, it. There once was a time when just about everybody knew about Orson Welles's famous radio broadcast in 1938 where he did um, a radio dramatization of H.G. Wells's story, The War of the Worlds, which, among other things, involved an invasion <clears throat> excuse me, of, of our planet by Martians. Wells, of course, adapted the story a little bit. Uh, the, the Martians uh, landed in New Jersey. And, of course, as is well known, and as the story goes, um, uh, the, the story, uh, the broadcast was punctuated by authentic-sounding news, radio news bulletins about the the Martians have landed in so-and-so New Jersey, and they've taken over this, and they've killed that, and and they were very good. Of course, this was Wells in his Mercury Theater, so there was a lot of verisimilitude, uh, people screaming and sounds of violence. And, and the story is that, of course, the northeastern United States, and I suppose other places, but especially the people within the rough vicinity of the Martian landing, of course, flew into a panic and uh, called um, uh, 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 the radio network and uh, called newspapers and uh, started hitting the road to escape from the invading Martians. Well, as it turns out, the story of the terror that struck America because of Wells's broadcast is greatly overstated. I mean, obviously there were a handful of people who thought it was a, a, a an actual news story they were listening to. Um, and Wells, for his own part, being the great showman that he was, kind of went along with it and, of course, had a press conference the next morning where he abjectly apologized for what had happened. Um, but it did, it did um, the, the, the incident was mythologized into an illustration of how the the new technique of radio, <clears throat> excuse me, the new media of radio, the new technology of radio could could have um, wide and sweeping and unexpected effects on uh, the listening public. Um, Brad Schwartz has written a book which is something of a spoiler corrective to all that, but we need to have such things to put it all in perspective. And Robert Nason sums it all very nicely in his very elegant essay. Speaking of elegant essays, that is followed um, by a review by Lawrence Klepp, who often writes about um, philosophical subjects for the Weekly Standard. And this is a book entitled European Intellectual History from Rousseau to Nietzsche by Frank uh, Turner. Frank Turner was a professor of philosophy at Yale for many decades, um, much loved and well-known uh, teacher. And um, it's a it's a very uh, interesting and and accessible description of European thought and European uh, intellectual life um, 
during the past 200 years to the extent that it was influenced by these two major figures, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the French philosopher, and Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the German um, philosopher, and um, two different people in their ways, um, two men with with um, exceedingly unconventional um, views of of humanity and and um, and the ways of the world in their time, um, but both deeply influential and as as both Turner and to some degree Klepp argue, we're still living under the influence of their influence on Western thought in our time. So the book is, is, is um, entitled European Intellectual History from Rousseau to Nietzsche, which is uh, nicely, um, nicely described for us by Lawrence Klepp. I found it very, very interesting and, and um, uh, absorbing in a way that books, uh, essays of that sort aren't always. That is followed by a piece um, by David Aikman, uh, who's something of a chronicler of human rights abuses around the world, but it's a it's a book um, by a Chinese uh, man called Chen Guangcheng, who now lives in America, but the book is entitled The Barefoot Lawyer, A Blind Man's Fight for Justice and Freedom in China. Um, Guangcheng has been blind, I think, since birth, um, but at any rate, since childhood at any rate. And um, the book is, is two parts. One is the struggle that any individual uh, faces in the People's Republic of China when they are handicapped or as severely handicapped as a blind person would be. This is a country of uh, one billion plus inhabitants and um, accommodating the needs of someone who cannot see but has a brain uh, to uh, go very far um, is not an easy thing. And of course, Guang, uh, Chen Guangcheng has, uh, has since gone on to become a, a fairly uh, well-known human rights activist, so well-known indeed that, that he is now living, in, sadly, in exile in the United States. But like most human rights activists, he's uh, something of a citizen of the world. And David Aikman tells his story in um, in an interesting and instructive uh, fashion. That's followed by a a piece by Julianne Dudley, who um, was uh, up until this past week my assistant here at the Weekly Standard, but is uh, now going on to greater glory elsewhere. <laughs> um, but Julianne, before she left, did a review of. Um, a new novel from Alexander McCall uh, Smith, who's a very uh, popular um, uh, author of the Ladies Detective Agency series, many of you may know. But this is called Emma, A Modern Retelling. Um, Jane Austen's Emma has been subject to any number of, of versions over time, I suppose most famously in recent times, the movie uh, Clueless, which was done in the mid-90s. Julianne Dudley... Um, does not think that um, McCall Smith has done justice to to Jane Austen under these circumstances, but she tells an interesting story about how Emma has been told and retold in different forms and how and why Alexander McCall Smith's um, version doesn't quite, doesn't quite measure up. That is followed by a piece by uh, Edwin Yoder of a, it's a, 
Um, it's a biography of a man little known in the United States, um, but well worth knowing about. Uh, the book is entitled Chasing Lost Time, The Life of C.K. Scott Moncrief, Soldier, Spy, and Translator. Scott Moncrief is one of those um, uh, uh, British polymaths of the uh, late 19th, early 20th century. Um, he was, a, um, among other things, a, a soldier and, and um, writer, but is best known today, I think, uh, because he um, did the first um, and probably most famous and most enduring uh, translation of Marcel Proust's uh, A la recherche du temps perdu, um, or Remembrance of Things Past, as uh, Scott Moncrief um, rendered it in his translation. Um, now, of course, it's more commonly referred to as In Search of Lost Time. I guess I'm old enough that Remembrance of Things Past sounds better to me, and I'm used to it, so I've never quite gotten used to the the new, no, more, no doubt more faithful translation. What's interesting about Yoder's piece is he talks about how Moncrief, in the way of, of some translators, um, tended to take Proust's work and um, make it his own. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a fascinating and in many ways brilliant uh, work that he did in translating Proust, but how faithful it is to Marcel Proust um, is another question altogether, which both the book and, and Ed Yoder ex uh, 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 explore here it, in fascinating length. I can't, uh, I can't recommend this more highly. John Podhoritz this week, um, his review is of a movie that um, no doubt millions have already seen and more millions will see afterwards, and that is uh, the new uh, Mission Impossible, um, the installment with uh, Tom Cruise. This one entitled Rogue Nation. Um, I think this is the uh, fifth installment of the Mission Impossible uh, franchise that um, Tom Cruise, I suppose, is is best known for, perhaps. Um, and uh, John, I, I don't want to spoil John's attitude toward the movie, but as is always the case with his reviews, um, his perspective on it as craft and his um, his ability to put the whole phenomenon in cinematic history perspective is at least worth the price of admission. So that is the Books and Arts section for the Weekly Standard for August uh, 17th. Uh, our next uh, issue will be a combined issue since we're taking a week off in August um, and won't be publishing. So our next issue, uh, August 24th, 31st, um, will be a combined issue, and that will be coming soon. And I thank you so much for joining me for this, and I look forward to describing our next combined issue with you very soon. Thank you.